Welcome back to Meathead Hippie. I love this podcast. I found Dr. Gabrielle Lyon through a mutual friend on Instagram. And this podcast, I mean, she specializes in protein metabolism and body composition. So to say that it's everything I think you guys are going to want to listen in on would be an understatement. You're going to love it. We get really nerdy. She gets really nerdy about things like intermittent fasting, different ways you can do it, leptin resistance, branched chain amino acids, post-workout recovery, why protein is so crucial, misconceptions to protein right now, especially in the anim eating animals are bad world, kind of where, where she stands with that and what to do if you are a vegetarian or, you know, thoughts on other protein things. And um, I, I don't want to spoil it. You're going to love it. So enjoy it. She's awesome. Make sure you check out herself. She's on Instagram at Dr. Gabrielle Lyon and her and her husband run the Ash Center in New York. So if you need work, body work, any work, I think that they have the center that can do it for you. I just like her background. She's just incredible and smart and beautiful. So, so glad she was on the show. If you haven't missed it, just really quick, um, or if you haven't caught it, I'm doing a free holiday eight challenge. So eight days over Thanksgiving, starting November 19th, a free challenge, eight days. Every day you're going to receive a recipe that's either a spin-off of a typical holiday food or just a healthy alternative so that you can make some quick, easy choices. And it's just going to be eight delicious recipes and also a workout that you can do at home or with the MPAC or at your gym and just keeping you moving, keeping you sane. I think we tend to overdo, you know, we beat ourselves up over the holidays. We know we're going to drink. We know we're going to eat a little more sugar. So let's just stay balanced. Let's stay grounded. And if you join the challenge, you will also be linked into my community of superheroes. So superheroes from all over that are doing it with you and just a nice support system wherever you are, just to kind of say, I got your back. How'd you do in the workout? It's just really cool. So no extreme points, no extreme, you know, dieting. That's not what it's about. It's just about staying sane over the holidays. And you can just join my newsletter, emilyshram.com and get everything, or you can access the challenge. Just go to emilyshram.com and you can figure out how. I have some cool events coming up. So I will be in Denver doing an event at the Whole Foods, November 13th. That's opening at Union Station. I can't wait to do that. I'm going to be a part of Girls Inc. They're opening up a coffee shop on Platt. November 16th. And then November 18th, I am going to do an event with Jen, Jen Winstrom from Biggest Loser. She's amazing. Her and I are going to do a come to the workout, bring some non-perishable food items, and let's have a good time for a good cause. So can't wait to be doing that. That's at Project Move on November 18th. I'll have some stuff on my Instagram so you guys can join. And if you're not in Denver, fear not, I will be in your city, I'm sure soon with the way I've been traveling recently. So coming to Ohio, going to Missouri, and I will be in Texas. So a couple big trips coming up. So I'll let you know about those. But if you're in Denver, I better see you at one of these events. All right. Enjoy this episode. I know I did. She's awesome. And can't wait for you to listen. Let me know what you think. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Our paths crossed on Instagram. Yeah. La, la, la. Uh, as all good relationships, I think, have started in my life recently these days. I love what you're doing, and I can't wait, can't wait to talk to you about all the nerdy things and meathead things with you. So thanks for being on Meathead Hippie. Yeah, it's kind of a perfect combination of meathead and hippie. So it's... You fit it's right big. in. <laughs> That's kind of what we do. We yeah. do the meat, the muscle part, and then the more holistic healing part when it comes to food and things like that. So it's, I love that. And you, you specialize in protein metabolism and body composition, correct? I, I do. So I am a physician. 
I did my undergraduate training in vitamin mineral metabolism, in human nutrition, vitamin mineral metabolism. And um, I did that at the University of Illinois. And I studied under Dr. Donald Lehman, who I was lucky enough to be mentored and currently still mentored by. And he is the protein godfather. Mm. And um, then I did a residency in psychiatry and family medicine. And then I did a two-year postdoc at Washington University in nutritional sciences, which oh, you're from Missouri. I am from Missouri. Your, your resume is impressive. I, um, I'm curious, out of all the things that you've dabbled in, I know that you probably use a little bit of all of them in your practice today, but was there anything, you know, psychiatry is so much different than vitamin oh. and mineral metabolism, right? So what drew you to psychiatry or did you just like all of it? Have you always been into a little bit of everything? Yes, actually, um, my godmother is one of the original functional medicine nutritionists. No way. The old school, old school generation. Her name is Liz Lipsky, and she wrote one of the first books on leaky gut, and her first book was Digestive Wellness. Hmm. So I moved in with her when I was 17. I graduated high school early, moved in with her, and I started learning about the more holistic aspects of nutrition. The hippie Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. <laughs> right. I was living on Kauai. It's incredible. Oh my God. Kauai is my favorite place in the world. It is the ultimate. So I was living on Kauai, learning nutrition. I mean, it doesn't get better. I love that, that. Yeah. Changed the trajectory of my life. And then it was at that moment at 17 that I started down the path of really food is medicine, nutritional sciences. And that's a young age, I feel. Did you have personal experiences with self of um, anything personal where you were like, I, I'm trying to fix something or I need to heal? Or, you know, I feel like a lot of people in this industry, they have gone through something pretty extreme or have had some health issues. But I love, I mean, you're 17 and you, you already are dialed in. That's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I felt really fortunate to have found my path so early. Mm. I would say there was two really big challenges. One is going through traditional medicine. So I really loved vitamin, you know, human nutrition, vitamin, mineral metabolism. And then going through medical school was extraordinarily challenging for me, especially from the background at which I had come from. Mm. Um, So that was quite uh, difficult. And then of course, doing um, two years of psychiatry, which was not a good fit for me. Hmm. My experience with that was that you think that when you are thinking about traditional psychiatry, you think maybe about the evolution of the mind. That is not what is happening hmm. in, cur- in the current psychiatric world, you know? Hmm. Um, so then I switched to family medicine. That was much more, uh, that allowed me to have a capacity to see everybody. And then doing my fellowship at WashU, that was really challenging um, and really important in and terms yeah, of- tell, yeah. yeah, tell me about when you knew like, okay, now I have a practice with your husband in yeah. New York, right? How do you, you, I mean, it seems like I want to visit just to see you guys and all the things that you do. Where did you feel like I feel like I have, you know, you have so much background. It's like, when did you realize like I have something special to give some, somebody like even at 17 or was it the kind of accumulation of all these different programs that nobody really was doing? I feel like you guys were ahead of the game because I feel like now people are like, oh, yeah. it is full body wellness. It is yeah. all about all the pieces, um, but you've been doing that for a while. So yeah. did you, how did you realize that so quickly? I guess it, it's kind of my question. I think every practitioner goes through their journey. Mm -hmm. So for myself and my husband, we believe muscle is the organ of longevity. So muscle is an organ like the heart. It's the, it is an endocrine organ. It secretes things. It is truly an organ. It's not just this vehicle for locomotion, right? It's the essential aspect of glucose metabolism, resting metabolic rate, um, cholesterol metabolism, all of those things. And I think back to your question was when, did we kind of know that there was something unique about what we were doing? Mm -hmm. And I would say that myself and my husband, I think just as being practitioners of having these experiences and then 
having it filter out through a unique perspective, right? So I was a fitness competitor for a really long time. So my perspective was that muscle was so important. And then of course, doing, um, you know, fitness modeling and then all of that stuff, you know how important nutrition is, right? That's Mm -hmm. key. So that kind of changed my perspective as I became more educated. I was looking at it through that filter, you know? Mm -hmm. I love, I don't meet many people that are, in the fitness world and also are like, you know, the hip in the hippie world, what people would say hippie. And I think of hippie as such a positive thing. So um, for you as a former bodybuilder and figure competitor, figure competitor. Yeah. Figure Not competitor. And fitness. And I did fitness. Fitness. Yes. Which is like very different. If you guys don't know this, there's a big difference, but yeah. anybody that's in those situations, it's incredible what you put your body through the, amount of dedication it takes, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's more impressive than ultra marathons and Ironmans and those kind of things. It's just so incredible. When did you get into that? Were you already into medicine when you were starting to get into that meathead side? So that's funny. Um, I always, so I did dance, gymnastics, track, soccer, right in high school. And then I did a year abroad at the University of Limerick studying exercise physiology. And I was watching on TV, there was Fitness America. And I was sitting there in Ireland thinking, oh my God, I'm totally doing that. I'm coming back and I can totally do that. I love it. I mean, it's so foolish, right? I would never do, I probably would never do that now. So then when I got back to the University of Illinois, I just trained for it. And I start. I mean, I just started at it. I love it. Did you, did you have a good after training or after competing journey? Cause I think that's where a lot of my people get stuck. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it's extremely toxic Hmm. in terms of there's a lot of, I mean, you are putting yourself up to be judged in the most outrageous way. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I had the experience, but it's very, it takes a long time to heal from that experience. Yeah, I think emotionally and metabolically, correct? I would say absolutely both. And I did it for many, many, many years. Mm. Um, And it changes the perspective of, skews the perspective of what is normal. Mm. And then when you think about that, you know, you also have to think about, we do live in a very soft society. So what do we think of as normal? Um, Maybe a little too extreme. And when I say soft society, I don't mean physically. I mean, as a whole, we tend to be a lot softer. We're not exposed to colds. We have a lot of luxuries and amenities. We've really softened ourselves. So with that being said, there is somewhere in between to have physical challenge and and really kind of embrace that suffering and, and really challenging yourself to the extreme of kind of emotional battery of oneself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like we want stress to some degree. That's always the change that happens, right? If we stress our body, then we're out of our comfort zone. We're moving, we're doing something different for ourselves, which is where I think many people get stuck is physically in workouts or even just in life and in their career. But then, you know, for me, I'm all or nothing. So I, it's just so fascinating to me because when I first decided, okay, I'm going to make some changes. I hadn't found CrossFit or I hadn't found Olympic lifting yet. And so I didn't know there was any way to compete outside of figure competitions and bodybuilding. And those, the, that kind of world was the only thing that I knew. I'm like, if I'm going to compete, which I knew I wanted to, I needed that kind of extreme goal. I had always had in my head, okay, I guess that's the next step. Like, what do I do if I don't have you know, am I just doing this to look a certain way? I needed that kind of thing. So I had all, I always played around with it, but I never did it. And I'm glad I didn't. Cause I think it would have, um, just how I am with, uh, my past with eating disorders. I think I would have just wrecked my body. I just think I would have gone into a deep, dark hole. <laughs> so I love yeah. that you came out of it and you're in such like, you know, in such a positive way. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It is. It's, it's really, it's really important. And how do you find in terms of CrossFit, is that what you're doing now? CrossFit, Olympic lifting and those kinds of things? Yeah. So I actually am not competing right now. I haven't competed um, in about a year, which feels like forever. I was all in and I loved it. And I competed for like three, four years of just local competitions. And as I got better, some more pro competitions, but I just, 
I think for me with my business and with figuring out this balance, I am, if I need to be able to perform with my job, I cannot also hate myself. And CrossFit was putting me in a really negative space where I would always go and never feel, I couldn't switch where I couldn't feel okay, that was great. Good job. It was like, oh, I could be better. Oh, I could be better, right. which I think is great to some degree, but there's so many times where that's just exhausting. Right. And we, how do we stop always wanting to be better and appreciate where we are? And I always am trying to find that balance. Um, but CrossFit just for a while was putting me into a, a you're not good enough place. That is nothing flows from that. From yeah. my experience, yes. that if you're in that constricted, restricted state, there's very little that flows out of that. And I could feel that there was nothing. I was like, I am empty. Like I have nothing to give. And it wasn't, you know, there's no amount of supplementation yeah. <laughs> that can help with that. So you move from, is this kind of where you started getting into your specialty, which is body composition and protein metabolism is through that kind of experience? Oh Yeah. Absolutely. Because then I started to see the extremes of health. Really, everyone thinks about uh, being over fat is the issue, but it's not. It's really about being under muscled. Mm. And so when you think about muscle as an organ, you really have to think, you know, when we're young, we can kind of do whatever we want. We can eat whatever we want, train however we want, and we still can maintain muscle. Um, through my experience, what I found is that, you know, and through obviously the literature and things that there is a very specific way to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Yes, there's the training aspect, but there's also a nutritional aspect that is key, an inflammatory aspect that is key. And as you age, it changes. Mm. I'll give you an example, just, just for a nerdy example. The amount of protein per meal. So your listeners are very skilled in nutrition because they follow you. <laughs> I hope. Um, we'll see. <laughs> so a new... A normal individual will need four to five ounces, even six ounces at one time, which is a minimum of 30 grams of protein to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Hmm. So that's a lot per meal, right? And so every feeding opportunity is, the, is an opportunity to do that. So typically with my patients, I want them eating three times a day, high bolus protein per meal to actually get that turnover. As you age, if you are less than four ounces of protein, you don't actually stimulate your muscle tissue. It actually goes towards calories. Whoa. So that's one of the reasons you see people lose muscle as they age. Oh my God. And it's crazy because people think as they age, they need less protein. It's actually the absolute opposite. Wow. If you're young, you're driven by hormones and you don't need as much protein hmm. as what, you age. What's the age that that starts to turn? 30s, 30 to 40, you know, they, people start to feel it, Yeah. you know, mid 30s, early 40s. Uh, mm -hmm. You no longer are driven by hormones and now you are solely reliant on um, exercise, really resistance training and kind of that kind of a thing with the proper amino acids. And plant protein is not the same as animal protein. I was going to ask that. Do you, yeah. in this kind of phase right now of vegetarianism, um, where do you, where do you stand with that? Are you just, are you point blank? I know that you don't want to eat meat and I don't, I don't know if this can work or do you give them alternatives? I try to at least get eggs and fish if they will, yeah. but what are some of the things that you talk to with your vegetarians? So I ask them why so I'm I think that it's really important to differentiate between your opinion and science. Mm -hmm. Um, and in science, it's very clear that the amino acid composition of plants is very different than the amino acid composition of eggs or fish or meat or chicken. Um, when they're young, that's okay. But as they age, you know, I've seen it on the other side mm -hmm. and it's really not a good picture. So I ask them, the first thing is I always try to understand the patient, right? Why are you eating this way? Is this an ethical issue? Where did you get your information? I mean, there is there's a lot of propaganda out there and then people make decisions, emotional decisions based on poor information. Hmm. You know, I mean, we are not the largest consumers of meat, right? India, China, Brazil have way more consumption of, of meat. 
and part of the sustainability argument is the land that we have for cattle. You can't actually grow crop on that. It can only be used for cattle. So there's just, you know, you know, and then you think about all of these things and people make these decisions. <sighs> yeah. Do you think that there's any plant-based protein out there that you like at all? Have you found yeah, one that you like? This is fine, but um, I'll give you an example. So quinoa is great. Quinoa is higher in protein. You need about six cups of quinoa to equal one chicken breast. Oh my God. I didn't know it was that ridiculous. And then you actually need that at one time. Mm. Um, so what I typically recommend for patients is if they're vegan or vegetarian is to do whatever they can, for example, tempeh or soy products. Yes, there's this whole concept of estrogen, but if you were going to weigh the risks and the benefits, you need to, you know, pick products that are higher in protein and it can be beans as well, but then you would have to augment with branched chain amino acids. Mm. I was going to, yeah, perfect. So tempeh and fermented soy, I feel like I've always had success with. It was more mm -hmm. the other, um, just kind of the processed soy that the box soy yeah. that I try to get people to stay away from for sure. Yeah. Branched chain amino acids. I'm so glad that was my next on the list. I would love to talk to you about them and how you use them and how you suggest them for clients. Okay. I love them. I think that they're so great to add in, especially when someone's converting, cutting sugar, or really just trying to eat cleaner and they feel like kind of crazy or the sugar cravings yeah. are high or the carbohydrates are being decreased maybe slightly and they just aren't themselves. I would love to talk about why they are so effective um, in that situation and how they can be really great for stimulating muscle growth. Yes. Branch chains are amazing. Um, branch chains, in particular leucine, which requires actually two and a half grams of leucine to trigger this muscle turnover. It's the lock and key effect, right? So um, branch chains are amazing to use definitely after a workout. I would say any kind of endurance activity, any kind of even weightlifting activity, right? I mean, there's, there's solid proteins or isolates, which are fantastic. And then you wouldn't necessarily need a branch chain, but the muscle is primed to utilize branch chains after you train, after you do resistance training. And it actually, it, um, branch chains are utilized as fuel for mm -hmm. the muscle, right? In addition, another aspect that is fantastic about branch chains is that you can use them with a lower protein meal. Every meal is a feeding opportunity to stimulate your metabolism. So if you have fish, we know fish has a lower amino acid content. So you have a little two ounce piece of fish, have a scoop of branch chains with your vegetables. Mm -hmm. Or if you're having kind of a vegetarian style meal, you should definitely have a scoop of branch chains and kind of um, help augment those deficient amino acids. And some, an, an amino acid profile that would look like higher leucine um, more so than the other two, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Yeah. Do you have a brand that you like? I'm having a hard time finding a few that I like because they yes. all tend to be kind of challenging. I am creating my own. Ooh, um, no way. Uh, <laughs> yes. But in the meantime, um, Douglas Labs makes a good one. Okay. I, I see some professional athletes, so that's it's a great it's a great works great. It's called Clean, and then Trace Minerals also makes one. Oh, perfect. Okay. It's also good. There's a pre and post. Um, so that's really good. Will you have a customer for when you are ready for yours to Oh, I will definitely send you some. I love sure. it. Do you believe in intermittent fasting, just while I we're do. on the topic? Do I you prescribe it for my patients. Amazing. Let's talk about it. I have so okay. many people that ask me about it and I would just love to get your opinion. What I've found that I do really well with, and I would, you can totally, whatever you say, I will not be offended, but I love doing branched chain amino acids as I do intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. um, but I would love to talk, why would you prescribe for your clients? Let's go. Let's I just love fasting. And I actually, so there's a couple things that we should talk about with that. Okay. Um, the literature is pretty clear that when you're doing intermittent fasting, real pure intermittent fasting, you don't use anything. So you don't use branch chains, you don't use fat, you use nothing. That is nearly impossible to do. Mm -hmm. um, but that is the traditional, the research, um, Longo's research, Luigi Fontana's research. That is, that is real fasting. Mm 
Okay. The other aspect of fasting, which is what you're kind of utilizing, is you are doing what's called really calorie restriction and time-restricted feeding. So when you're using the branched chain amino acids, you're actually doing, um, there is a component of that that is giving your body rest and is time and is um, uh, giving your body rest as well as reducing the amount of calories. Mm. Because then when you, when you eat, it's not like you're overeating towards the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I use three things, three um, protocols. I use time-restricted feeding which is they eat to in an eight and nine hour window. Okay. And that has been shown to, they have actually done studies where you can have um, animals eating just a complete junk food diet, right? And the same animals eating the same diet, terrible diets. Mm-hmm. You do a time-restricted feeding and the group that does the time-restricted feeding doesn't gain weight. Wow. And they're both eating, it would be the equivalent of like McDonald's. Wow. So yeah, there's something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. Um, for time restricted for eight to nine hours. Yep. Which I like that because I feel like that's doable. I've seen some that are six hours. I'm like, there's yep. just no way I just would totally binge or clients. I feel like would go yep. through that. Like I'm starving myself mentality, mm-hmm. that eating disorder. So I feel with, um, do you, would it be from noon to eight? Is that yep. kind of the best time for your client? Exactly. That's exactly right. So that's one, that's definitely, that's the the most common one that Mm -hmm. I see that I use in my practice. And then I use another one where it's alternate, alternate day feeding. Okay. So they fast for most of the day and then they have, then they eat their first meal at 6 PM. That is their one meal. And then the next day is a regular feeding day. Okay. And then the day after that, so it's every other day fasting. That's interesting. And people do, is that helpful for people who, is there a type of person that you would put in that category almost always? Um, so men tend to do very well with it. Okay. Um, someone who is really looking to lose weight and does not have a history of an eating disorder, right? So that breakfast meal at 6 PM is usually a really large salad with a tablespoon of olive oil. It's nothing crazy. So essentially they're almost still fasting. Mm. Um, So that's really kind of, I would say men, no history of eating disorder, definitely people who have weight to lose. Nobody that is under an incredible stress, right? Mm. Fasting is not good for that. Um, I would say that that's really what we're looking at. And then the next, the last group that I use for really my leptin resistant patients Mm. will be two 24 hour fasts back to back. So let's say they do a Friday to Saturday night, have a tiny little meal, and then the next day they do another 24 hours. Mm, okay. And talk, let's talk about leptin resistance because yeah. I, I would love to talk about leptin because I think a lot of us are resistant to leptin, the, the hunger, turn on, turn off hormone. Yeah. It's like we eat, we can't turn it off. We don't, we never feel satisfied. Um, I would love to address, how do you know if someone is leptin resistant? Um, Blood levels. So I always Mm -hmm. measure a fasting leptin level. In addition, really history of yo-yo dieting. Most of the yo-yo dieters have leptin resistance and their long-term homeostatic control of hunger is just totally off. Mm. So fasting actually helps reset that pathway and it also helps reset the circadian feeding rhythm, which is really important. I love that. And have you seen in usually just those two back-to-back 24 hours? Has, is that enough to reset it? Oh, yeah. That's so amazing. Yeah. I mean, but I also put them on a very specific eating protocol. Mm. Okay. Right? Um, so the rest of the week, they're very particular about what they're eating. And then, of course, training, mm-hmm. right? So training is not slow, steady state for the, the most part. It's really about putting in effort. Mm-hmm. And resistance training with effort, real effort. Yeah. That kind of thing. I love it. And for people that I want to go back to what you said about stress, because I agree with this so much and you're probably going to put the words that I, I just see it when people are in high stress or their adrenals are going crazy and cortisol's all over the place. They're trying intermittent fasting and it backfires. Completely. Um, What, what's going on in that process? So there's two ways that really you gain weight. If you think about it, there's 
hypoglycemia, mm -hmm. which then causes a release of cortisol. And then there's hyperglycemia. So both hypo and hyper are not good. Mm. When you're under stress, you can either be hypoglycemic, right? Because of all these stress hormones. And then with the hyperglycemia is also under stress. Your body is dumping glucose. Mm. So I would not put people in fasting if they are under tremendous stress. Mm. What I would do is I put them in heat therapy. Ooh. So I their nutrition to augment their ability to withstand stress. So we stop chaotic eating. They eat at the same time every day. They always have their meals. It's planned for, right? So we kind of make sure that their blood sugar is always regulated. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's adaptogenic, adaptogenic herbs, things like that. That's one aspect of it. And then the other way that I stress them is not through food. So I do believe that the body requires stress to cultivate resiliency. Mm -hmm. And the internal stress is largely self-induced. I think that there's always a component of external stress that is required. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the external stress should come from diet if they're already bonkers, right? Yeah. The external stress should be heat therapy. So I will stick them in a sauna. I will stick them in a, in a hot Bikram class. I'll give them nutrients before. Um, I, I love so that vasodilate them and send them on their way. <laughs> and I, I love that because it's active. It's doing so many good things for brain and body yeah. and detox and mitochondria, but it's like not something that they have to think about. Right. And it upregulates their heat shock proteins. Ah. So it actually really helps the body um, detoxify through the skin and then it repair itself. Yeah. It's really important. So that's, and then their sympathetic nervous system may go up, but then it allows them to calm down. So that's what I do for people who are under stress. Everything is very consistent and the carbohydrates are very moderate, right? They are not high. And I would love that to talk about kind of the macro breakdown, obviously protein, yeah. maybe a gram, a gram per pound of lean muscle mass, give or take, maybe yeah, a little I go higher. Okay. Higher than that. I do go a little bit higher because the science is really clear that they need a minimum of 30 grams per muscle protein synthesis per meal. Okay. So everyone at a minimum should be at 90. Everybody at a minimum should be at 90. I love that. Not everybody yeah. has 90 pounds of lean tissue, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, the lower your caloric intake is, the higher your protein has to be to protect lean muscle tissue. Yeah. What do you think about the um, kind of like the ketogenic thing that's going on? It can be great for some people. It's, I've seen a lot of patients that have not done well on it. Um, men tend to do very well on ketogenic diets. I have never seen a woman be successful. I, have to, I, I get tons of treatments. They do fantastic for three or four weeks. And, and then, then they, it's over. And then it's over. Yes. Um, and I, that's the, my biggest thing is, okay, well, ketones um, can be protein sparing, right? So you need less protein. You can be able to keep, keep the muscle mass where it is or increase it with the protection of the ketones your body's producing. But I just, long-term for women, especially, I just haven't seen a success where I'm like, I feel like you are now stuck. It's almost that vegetarian kind of philosophy of like, I'm a vegetarian. I'm committed. I want so badly to make this work. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's really funny. It is. It's really about, uh, flexibility and metabolic adaptation and not just metabolic, but mental adaptation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Have got to be able to change. Have they, you seen, have yeah. you, has your diet changed a lot throughout the years? Oh my God. Yes. I mean, so wait, so let me, let me reach, let me take that back. It's always been high protein, mm. but I have, I have been vegetarian for many, many years. Um, I was macrobiotic for a period of time. Um, I definitely one week out of the month go very plant-based, no mm. protein plant-based. I do fasting mimicking protocol one week out of the month. And that's um, every month. Um, depends on how much stress I'm under. Okay. Definitely. Right. So if, um, for example, I was training for this military event and I evolved my hamstring and my left hip. So I had to go under numerous stem cell procedures. Fasting during that time was not going to happen. Got it. Healthy in a, in a healthy way, you know? Yeah. Um, with the 
week off, is that for, is it mainly because protein is higher, harder to digest and it's good to kind of reset your body? Or what is that week off? Talk to me about the theory behind that. So the, the data is out of, um, of Vincent Longo's lab okay. in California. And he created this, he's done a lot of research around the fasting mimicking diet. And it's really about a calorie restriction and an amino acid restriction for five days. Mm. And what they've found is that it helps stem cell rejuvenation, all kinds of things, helps the body rejuvenate. And that is the, the data and the thought process behind that. It's really about longevity. Got it. Yeah. And you don't, and is, do you suggest that even for people that might have eating disorders or is there still some things that you stay away from? Yeah. If they have an eating disorder, as you know, it's, um, it's really tricky. You have to get to the underlying anxiety as to why that's happening for that person. Mm. And what is it that they're not facing? And what is the, is the, is that a habit? Or are there underlying emotional anxieties that really need to be addressed that food is never going to solve? Mm, I love that. Yeah, we got to dig deep. Um, A lot of people need to dig deep. And I think that's probably where your psychiatry like draw was maybe towards. Totally. It was how the mind, of course. Of course. There was a post that you made um, recently. And I don't remember what this picture was, but it was talking about the importance of getting breakfast metabolically correct. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Smart woman. (laughs) I would love to talk about that. Yeah. So the first meal that you eat is the most important. It doesn't matter if it's noon or three o'clock, but if that meal is unbalanced or high in carbohydrates and creates this insulin surge, you are then primed to store body fat the rest of the day. No matter what you're eating, the body is ready to store. Mm. So getting that first meal metabolically correct is really important. And what that would mean is really people cannot tolerate more than 30 to 40 grams at a meal without stimulating insulin and then storing body fat. Of course, that doesn't, you know, if you're training and you're doing CrossFit, then obviously that load is higher. But um it's so true because people that, I mean, we all know, like there's the people that eat the bagels and scones and they're not quite, you know, where they're learning about food and that it's just high carb breakfast. But then there's still the people I feel like they really crave sugar throughout the full day. And I'm looking, okay, what's, what's your breakfast and their healthy smoothie even is pushing them over the limit. And it's absolutely just triggering them. It's this crazy, I love that you post that. It was like, I knew this, like intuitively, I know the more carbs we eat at at breakfast, the more we're going to want them at the end of the night. But it was just really awesome to see the science of that. That was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's really important. Um, you know, your lowest carbohydrate meal should be breakfast. Mm, Yes. I agree with that. And then for training, I get a lot of people that get the training questions, uh, Unless, do you do, okay, so pre and post workout, making sure. How hard are you really training? So my question is, how hard is an individual really training? So a soul cycle class, you have not earned yourself a smoothie. (laughs) I love soul cycle. I mean, it's not true, right? Like you have not earned yourself a smoothie and an apple and Mm -hmm. a Luna bar that just, you just haven't earned it, Mm -hmm. right? But if you are going to do a, you know, a Metcon where you are just, completely crushed and cached you've probably now earned some carbohydrate right so yeah. like some um to store some glycogen the other aspect of that is there's a concept of training low right mm-hmm. whereas training kind of underfed in that way is also really important for metabolism mm. and this is something i'm not familiar with because yeah. when i train fasted i want to kill people and so I think That's it's, this, yeah. <laughs> I think it's like this mental, I can do it with BCAAs, but when I feel like there's nothing there and I think it's probably just more mental than anything. Um, I always feel like I get a little bit lightheaded and I never feel as strong. So I do, I do think maybe I haven't given my body a time to adapt to it or it's more mental of like, I know. And it also depends on your training status, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are there and you train really hard, then, um, you know, everybody's a biochemically individual. It's really true. I mean, the traditional science would say carbohydrates pre and post workout, and you don't really need it for the rest of the day. Um, and then, you know, but the other aspect of it is really, it's 
it is person specific. Think about it. There are so many different ways in which we could design our macronutrients and the foods that we choose. I mean, there are endless possibilities. Mm -hmm. Out of all those endless possibilities, it is so individualized that nothing works exactly right for the same person. Mm. Yeah. Do you, you know? train, do you train fasted, uh, even with high intensity intervals? Um, so it depends. So I, I had in the past, absolutely. In the morning, I, I prefer to train fasted, mm. but I'm good at that. I'm good at fasting. Yeah. My body is great with it. You know, I can produce all the sugar that I need. Yeah. It happens naturally for you. Mm -hmm. Do you like, just to recap, your favorite ways, especially with this topic, to stimulate muscle growth, right? Because that's ultimately what everyone wants is like, I want to look toned, lean, jacked. They want to lose body fat. And so, tan, right? <laughs> and tan, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we need some more kawaii for that. <laughs> yeah. um, what, are, what would your biggest takeaways be for somebody that just comes to you yeah, maybe, maybe they don't have a ton of body fat to lose, but they have, they want to make sure that they're maximizing their ability to build muscle. Yeah. So each meal would have four to five ounces of high quality protein. That would be anything that runs, not swims. So it would be chicken, beef, bison, all of those things. So you need 30 grams per meal. That's a really safe bet. Of course, if you're younger, you need a little bit less, but let's just say 30 grams, three times a day is the minimum everyone should be taking in. Mm. Immediately post-exercise, the muscle is primed. You could do a whey protein shake, have some branched chain amino acids. That's fantastic for um, feeding the muscle. Also training hard enough, really going to failure, right? It mm. can't be um, universal chest day and then just kind of a haphazard program, right? You have to put in the effort. Mm -hmm. But it's not about putting in the effort. It, it's about putting in the right effort yep. and really having a professional there design it and not thinking you're doing it right, but knowing you're doing it right. What are your workouts that you're doing currently? What do you like to do? So, well, right now I've been rehabbing. Like I said, I had 80% of Vol's hamstring. So I tore actually both and then tore my left labrum. So for me right now, it's very basic. So I'm working on all my mechanics, all my functional movements. Um, I'm working on how to do my pull-up correctly, right? Without completely injuring my shoulder. Um, I'm having to relearn how to squat. I'm having to relearn how to deadlift. All of these things, just very slow progression. Yeah, how did you do that to your hamstring? I was training for an event called Kokoro, okay. which is a 50-hour event. And I, my training volume was just really high and I was doing a sprint interval. I was doing actually IWT. I was doing interval weight training and then I would do, I was just full out max out sprint and my sprint stride was so long and I just snapped it. Just totally snapped it. <sighs> I tore my labrum, gosh, maybe six, five years ago, four years ago. It's so painful. I mean, it's like, there's so many people that have it, but it, I couldn't even swim I couldn't even get in the pool and kick what'd you do it's crazy I was squatting <laughs> um, did, you, did you have stem cell did you have PRP? you know I felt so I was scheduled for surgery because they were like there's no other way you, um you're never going to be able to do CrossFit you have to get surgery to fix this and I was just so heartbroken but what I found is the reason that it happened was I was in Thailand for six weeks I was running a lot more I had no glute activation no hamstrings I was just tight hip flexors did not mobilize correctly jumped right back into the weight that I was lifting before I left especially being nutrient depleted as I was in another country I was I mean I even looked I looked pretty bad. And I was like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm not even going to be sore. And I was in like the third, three of fifth squats. Um, and I heard a pop. So it was really like most people, it's kind of this gradual pain. It was like a very intense pain. And so I know. And so what I did is I figured out the sooner I could figure out the source. So I dry needled a ton with my adductors and try to get my glutes to activate slowly was able to build those muscles up. And then I just like crazy. It was collagen, turmeric, bromelain. I just, every single day I did as many anti-inflammatory herbs as I could get my hands on and, and plants and foods. And 
I just remember like being determined to do it without surgery and knowing that that might have been an option. You know, if worse comes to worse, I'll get surgery. But the only time my hip hurts is when I um, trigger it with certain foods. So if I, I can, it's like very specific to my grandma's Christmas cookies, um, <laughs> which is like the only time I have gluten because I know how I'm pretty sensitive to it. But as soon as I have it, it's the only time my hip hurts. Or if I run more than four miles on pavement, then I'm, I'm just instantly, I can start to feel it. But I had a complete recovery and I felt really lucky with that. So yeah. it took, a, it took a lot of time, but, um, I was able to, and I was grateful for that. Is yours pretty acute right now? Just even walking? No, no it's been almost two years, hmm. but it's gotten so much better, but I've had stem cell. Oh gosh. And I've heard amazing things about that. Amazing. Amazing. I love that. I bet there's some great places in New York. I actually go to Philadelphia. Really? Yeah. Cool. Well, if people are listening and they want some resources, I'm going to send them your way so that you can yeah. refer. I would it's, love a long, it's a long healing process, but you know, then you got to be smart you know, and not go back and be crazy. Right. Yeah. You gotta be wise, less yes. crazy more patient with self, right? Yeah. <laughs> what is your, um, what is your most frustrating thing that you hear from clients that come to you that, or maybe more fads or things that you see in social media world or in the fitness, you know, health world that you just, that really drives you crazy. Is there but something bad for you? Protein is bad for your bone. Protein is bad for your kidney. The bone is made of protein. Yeah. Carbohydrates are what kills the kidneys. Mm. Like, I mean, the, the, the science is, is there. It's not even my opinion, yeah. um, but it's bad. So ridiculous. It is, it is so dangerous and so ridiculous because like I said before, muscle is the organ of longevity. And if you do not feed that muscle, as you age, you become sarcopenic. If you become sarcopenic and fat infiltrates into that muscle, you are done. We're yeah. talking Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, you name it. The key is having a lean, you know, body that is, that is not under muscled, mm. right? And protein is key to that. Such nonsense. And people I, like that protein is bad for you. And that it's just. Frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It really is. And it, especially like you said earlier, how a lot of it's driven by propaganda and how it's, uh, it's so, it's just constantly hitting your head against the same wall of like, yeah. oh, I thought we went over this. I thought we, I thought we moved from this. <laughs> I mean, okay. so, I mean, being educated, having done my fellowship in this, yeah, I've seen the difference between bro science and real science. And I've taken care of these people on the other end who have made really poor life choices. Because and I thought it was good for them. That's what's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Absolutely. absolutely. And that yeah. is, um, you know, if you can prevent suffering, I think that that's why we're all in the health, the, the health space mm -hmm. is prevent other people suffering and also help guide them. Um, yeah. Right. And make the world just a little bit better and allow them to operate on a better level. Mm. Man, I love that. I knew I was going to love you. <laughs> Um, well, I have uh, one final question before I kind of hear about where people can see you and find you and all that fun jazz. Uh, I ask all of my guests what their spirit animal is. Jaguar, baby. Oh, that's so good. I love people that don't even hesitate. Uh, I kind of want to read Jaguar for you, what I have in my book. Do it. Can I read it? Let me go grab I'm it. <laughs> I have not podcasted with a Jaguar yet, so this is perfect. Have you been told that you are a Jaguar or did you just- Yes, ma'am. So my it. dad is a medicine man who lives in Ecuador. I love him. That's amazing. It's amazing, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna read what I have, although I'm sure you've had much better descriptions in the past of what a Jaguar is. Mm -mm. 
Okay, you're very clear and straightforward in your communications, sometimes to the point of bluntness. You're a strong and natural leader with a great deal of charisma coupled with humility. You carry yourself with relaxed authority. Your presence tends to dominate the room, even if you're not the center of attention at any given moment. You have a great deal of respect for Mother Earth and always try to step softly on her belly. Sometimes you have to work to contain your temper or you may unintentionally wound others. I think that about sums it up. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that I connected with you, Jaguar. This is so fun. Um, where can people find you and uh, talk about your practice and, and what you guys do there? So I, they can find me on Instagram and that is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Also Facebook. I am doing a whole revamping of social media. So if people message me on Instagram, they'll be able to find me, but it'll be Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. And then my website, drgabriellelyon.com. I have a practice with my husband called the Ash Center, which we will be going through a transition and renaming it the Lion Center. Ooh. <laughs> so right now you can find me at the Ash Center and that's 61st and 5th Avenue in New York City. Um, like I said, that will be transitioning to the Lion Center. We are not sure of the location yet. You don't um, want it to be the Jaguar Center? That, I, you know, <laughs> that may be interesting. My husband might, might have uh, a little question about that. <laughs> you guys have a great last name. It's powerful. It's perfect. Right. He's awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's really where they can find me. And then through you, I suppose. Yeah, I can't, wait, I can't wait to share this goodness. I know a lot of people, a lot of my meatheads out there, we all kind of, it's the same thing, right? We want to get the most out of what we're doing and making sure we're doing it right. And I really, I think the stuff that you talked about, it's just perfect. So I can't thank you enough. I love that we've connected and I can't wait to find you when I'm in New York next. Please. I'd love to have you at the center. Awesome. All right, guys, I will see you next Wednesday. Bye.